Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Brian. I'm one of the pastors at Church 21. I know that might sound strange since most of you probably don't know me here. Uh, I pastor in the West Island. I support uh, Jeff and, and, and Dwight out there. And, uh, but mainly I spend time uh, doing biblical counseling. I spend uh, day in and day out meeting with people and talking about uh, different parts of life. And it's such a joy to serve the church in this way. Um, and I have the uh, joy of uh, once in a while preaching, and uh, so that's why I'm here today. So uh, thank you. Thank you for receiving me. Um, so we're in this series uh, called Rule of Life. This is the book that you should have gotten. If you don't have it, I recommend you get it. We have copies in the back. At least I think I saw some. And uh, yeah, today we're going to be uh, looking at uh, another rule of life of prayer and Bible reading. Um, this series, Rule of Life, it, it, D Dwight, in, when he preached a couple weeks ago, he described it as a trellis on which we grow uh, spiritually. Um, it's interesting because we... Um, I live in an apartment with my, my wife and child, and so it's small, and we don't really have a backyard that we can garden in, but we do put a little garden on the balcony. We have little pots and stuff like that, and we have this, um, and we started growing some beans, right? And we, the cool thing about beans is that they kind of climb up things and whatever, but Early on, when, we, when they started to take off and maybe we weren't watching them as closely as we should have, the, 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 the vine kind of just goes off all on its own. And you kind of have to like take it and kind of wrap it around something so that it goes in the direction that you want it to go. So it kind of stays where it needs to be so that it can grow uh, in a more efficient way, uh, a more, um, you know, directed way. And that's what we need to think about when we think about how we need to grow spiritually on this uh, trellis, on this rule of life. It, it, this is not, we're not creating laws. It's just a, it's just a more intentional way. It's a continual, lifelong thing. We started with resting, reflecting, and seeking joy. Uh, Jeff, uh, last week, who uh, incidentally is one of the pastors that, I, that I, I'm with in the West Island, preached about how we use our time. And the rule of life is really about rearranging life for maximum joy in Christ, maximum effectiveness for what God wants you to do, like the little bean thing. We, if it had gone off and off the balcony down, probably wouldn't have been so effective. We wouldn't have been able to pick it. Maybe our neighbors would be able to pick it, but we wouldn't have been able to pick it. And that would have been troublesome. So this helps us keep us on the path. Again, this week, we're going to look at uh, Bible and prayer. And so we took a story from the Bible about Jesus being tempted that JP just, just read and how Jesus responds. And then what we're going to do is respond uh, to the call to renew our minds and learn how to depend on God for his direction and defense against sin. It actually struck me that... Uh, Prayer and Bible reading is, is one of the rules. Um, scripture reading and prayer are so essential to the Christian walk. Uh, it's, it would be like, I think, I feel anyway, it's like making a rule of life for breathing. Like we do it anyway. I'm never going to forget to breathe. I'm never going to stop breathing. If I do, I'm dead, right? Uh, and we don't look at prayer and reading our Bibles as a life or death thing, but the truth is, if we don't listen to God, 
it, we're kind of showing evidence that we actually might be spiritually dead. If we don't talk to God, maybe we're, we, we are showing evidence that we're spiritually dead. That's challenging, isn't it? Spiritual deadness is a problem. In my counseling uh, ministry, I'm, I have a questionnaire people fill out, and um, I'm always asking them, how, much, how often do you read your Bible? How often do you pray? This is just a standard thing. I want to get, I want to take their spiritual temperature. And I, I'm, you know, it's kind of sad to say, but many answer that it's very little or not enough. Or, and even those, there's some people that say, I, I read it every day, but I wish I could read more. So there's some people who have kind of a weird sense of what not enough is. Maybe they have in their mind, they got to read it all day continually. That would be ideal, but probably wouldn't make you much money. Just saying. Um, we have to be practical about these things, I think. Um, but most people in the questionnaire say that they don't feel like and or they do not read and pray enough. They don't read the Bible enough and they, 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 don't, they don't pray enough. What they basically are saying is, when they say I don't pray, is I don't talk to God. And when they say I don't read my Bible, they're saying I'm not listening to God. And then folks come to me for counseling and they need help and they're looking for instructions, solutions. They need, they need help with their problems to be resolved. I had one client come to me. It was actually a little shocking. They didn't last long as clients, unfortunately. But because they just couldn't get it. They were like, my kids, they're disobedient. I need help. Help me, help me whip them into shape. I was like, um... Yeah, I don't know if that's what biblical counseling is about. And I tried to explain to them that um, my, what I'm going to help you do is look at how God is the best dad, and I'm going to help you be the best parent to your kids by using God as the example. I'm going to help you be transformed by the implications of the gospel in your heart so that you can meet your kids the way God meets you with steadfast love and, and kindness and grace and mercy. And they're like, oh yeah, but I, I, I need steps. I need solutions for my kid. They wanted me to fix their, their kid. They wanted me to give them t five tips on how to make their kids listen. They don't see God's word as the ultimate authority in their lives. Methods for them seemed more tangible, yet God is infinitely more powerful for change in these things. And they just couldn't see it. They weren't talking to God and they weren't hearing from them. So I think as Christians, we also have this attitude. There's another way we look at uh, scripture reading and prayer. We have this attitude and belief that we should know perfectly what to do. We don't seek God because we're like, yeah, you know, people who struggle, they, need, they see God. I'm supposed to just know what it is that we're supposed to do. And that throws us off as well. I, I was sharing with uh, a couple here earlier. I used to be a carpenter. I used to build houses. And I worked for a construction company. It was early on in my career. And um, I, I, I was given this task. It was, I'm new, right? So they go, okay, we need you to install some door locks on these doors. And I don't know how familiar you are with the process, but sometimes when you get a door, when you buy a door, there's all the holes pre-drilled in it, and it's really nice. But in this job, none of the holes were pre-drilled. So I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this? Like, what? 
I, it's like, man, they're going to figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe they're going to fire me. Maybe they're going to tell me that I don't know how to do my job, whatever. So I go up to my foreman and I go, look, I kind of knew, what, what, what do I do with this? And he's like, dude, just read the instructions. I'm like, oh, I was shocked. I was like, it was like suddenly this, this weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like, you mean I don't have to know everything? I can actually go and consult something. I don't have to carry all this knowledge with me. Mind you, after a while, you memorize and remember, and it becomes second nature to you. But it's okay to look uh, for instructions. That's we kind of complicate things. And in our pride, we figure we just need to know how things work. And we largely depend, whether we admit it or not, on what culture says, the latest trends, what our upbringing told us, or even our experience. We actually value someone, and okay, I'm not going to get in an argument with you, but like we as Christians, somehow we're living our lives where a guy like Jordan Peterson, whose belief is questionable in this, this, at this time, we don't know exactly what he believes, but some guy who perceivably is from outside the church inviting the church to do stuff, to how to behave, how to, how to be Christian. And like, this is where we've come to, that the source of our encouragement and, and, um, and, and instruction has to come from outside of Scripture and prayer. I think that's problematic. I know that Jordan Peterson's well-meaning. I'm not criticizing what he did. But is that really where we want to get all of our information? We seek any answer but from God and his word and through prayer. Uh, the other reason that we don't pray to God is uh, about our life struggles or his word is our hearts really don't actually want to know what God thinks because we want to do what we want to do. This is obviously a problem. When I was growing up, um, obviously, you know, we all have parents. They have different ways of disciplining. In my house, there was like, you know, getting a smack or a spanking. Sorry, mom. She's not watching. Anyway, uh, you know, we we would... um, you know, if we did something wrong, it was like there was discipline, right? And, and the bar for doing something wrong always felt really low in our house, you know? Uh, it was like, man. Anyway, so when we did something wrong that our, my mom didn't know about, we certainly didn't go to my, our mom and say, uh, Mom, you know, I, I, I broke the vase, or Mom, I, I did this thing, or whatever. You know, I didn't make my bed, or clean my room or whatever. I ne- we never went and confessed to uh, our mom because we knew there were going to be consequences and we didn't like them. So we, we avoided that. And we do this with God too, right? We want to live the way we want to live and we know somehow intuitively in our hearts that if we go and speak to God, if we pray about it, if we open God's word and see what he has to say about it, we know that we're going to be convicted and said, maybe there's a better way. Not maybe, there is a better way. That's, that's, that's a problem. That's what we have. This is our human sinful nature. This is who we are. We fail to approach God much like a guilty kid, and we are afraid to know how God will respond. So we don't. 
We avoid him. Even if you're someone who prays daily, there are days where you're like, ah, oh, I'm not sure I want to pray today because it's just like we, we lie to ourselves and we think that God is going to be this like mean judge over us, this disciplinarian. But no, he's a God of mercy and grace and he wants to come to you and love you and care for you. In fact, he wants to be not a God of punishment, but a God of comfort for you. He wants you to come to him when you're not feeling good, when you need comfort, when you're in the midst of sin, when things don't feel right, when people are hurting you with all sorts of things. God wants you to come to him because he is the God of comfort. Paul actually says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which our, we ourselves are comforted by God. God really wants to meet us in in our lives and in our situation. And he's going to use that to bring transformation and healing to our lives. God has the power to do this, and I don't know if we always believe it, but he does. And it's even out of that transformation, and then he gets to use us to help other people, right? Not just for you, right? It's going to be a change and transformation that's going to help you help others. When we approach God, he will comfort us. And the reason he comforts us is because, because of Jesus. Because Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully human. And he was tempted in every way like us and suffered. It says in... Um, in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can confidently draw near to Jesus to receive mercy and grace. When we need it. If we're struggling in sin, the last thing we should do is not pray and not read scripture. In fact, if we have any hope for change, that's exactly what we need to do. And that's why we're talking about this uh, rule today as uh, the next rule, the thing that we ought to be doing. And in fact, I would even say that all the rules that we talked about before and all the ones we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks all hang on this. We are informed even by what we're encouraging you to do towards God based on this. Because we pray. Because we read the Bible. It's not something that we're just pulling out of the air. Like, oh, this is a good idea. Let's try this. It comes from God. And so we need a change of heart and we need a change of mind. Um, and Paul actually encourages us towards this in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, good and, acceptable and perfect. Too often we look anywhere but God for solutions. We look to the world. Some of the world's methods seem actually quite sophisticated and wise, but they fall short and they're not rooted, if they're not rooted in God's word. 
Sometimes they kind of line up with, you know. I remember I used to work for one of the largest uh, package delivery companies in the world. And uh, one of our corporate values was, um, was uh, to, to be here now. Right, and we were encouraging people, certainly in the in the administrative staff, to like be present for other people. This is a value that co- coincides with God, and we can we I as a Christian could say yes, I affirm this. Right? It, they talked about another corporate culture thing was uh, about gravity. I'm sure you've heard this from other things, but like if you start thinking negatively about certain things, then everything's kind of going to go down. So we need to think positively. Now I'm not talking, I'm not trying to encourage you to like, you know, have positive vibes or anything like that. But when we as Christians look to God for our solutions, when we pray to him, when we seek God and what he has for us, this brings us in a positive direction. It changes our belief and it helps us with day-to-day life. It, it's miraculous because the Holy Spirit works in us, but it's actually really practical too. So we want good life and we want to strive for godliness, Paul is warning us in, in uh, Romans 12 not to conform or to go along with the world. And that at the very least, we should be suspicious of the world's solutions and test them against God's word. Another reason to read scripture. Here's what I'm hearing. What does God have to say? Right? It's simple. We don't do it though. We we get lazy, we, we talk about time, whatever. We got to make the time. Paul is saying, be transformed by the renewal of your mind and God will renew it. If you seek his word to discern the will of God, it means we need to know God's will. God's will is found in scripture. God's will, according to Paul, is good, acceptable, and perfect. So if it is all those things and we know it's from God, then why isn't that our primary source for how to live? It's uh, this concept of the scripture being the primary source for how to live is actually one of the basis for biblical counseling. Uh, we, we hang a, a lot of our, our belief on, on 2 Peter 1, and it says in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's all things. That's not some things. That's not, oh, well, not that, right? It's all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises. When you read that phrase, his precious and very great promises, read scripture, read God's word. That is where it comes from. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter tells us that the world is corrupt, and we know this, right? It's broken. And it's a direct result of our sinful desire. We complain that the world is messed up uh, as if we're victims. It's messed up because of our sinful desire, not just everyone else's. If you're suffering, it's not, it's not all everyone else's fault, right? If, it, there, it, not, if, not if someone's doing something to you, that's not what I'm saying. But the way we um, deal with suffering can be dealt with in conjunction with God, 
Not that we avoid suffering. We can't avoid suffering. It's part of who we are. It's part of, it's part of living in this world. So we can either throw our arms up in the air and say, I don't know what to do, or we can actually go and see what God's great and precious promises are for our lives in the midst of suffering, and he will walk with us. He will comfort us. He will come alongside us. He will transform us. He will renew our minds for those things. Reading the Bible, hearing from God, and praying and speaking to God reshapes our desires to become like God's desires. So that's where we come to in Matthew 4, uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 11. Matthew is one of the four Gospels. Uh, it was uh, written by you know, eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did. Uh, there's this thought that maybe Jesus actually told his disciples this story at one point because if he's alone in the desert being tempted by Satan, probably nobody else is like, oh, what's going on over there? I'm going to write this down. That probably didn't happen. Jesus probably told the story. So we're going to read that story. We're going to see how Jesus interacts with Satan and temptation. And we're going to touch a little bit on, on what that means for us in terms of, you know, knowing God's word, praying. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus laid up, was led up by the Spirit uh, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on, by, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus tells Satan that he will not fulfill the desires of his flesh to eat, to satisfy his own hunger out of his own flesh uh, and out of his own selfish need, uh, oh, and he will only be driven by God's desire alone. This is how Jesus is responding. We desire so many things. Um, give me something that people desire. Snacks. Snacks? Is that what I heard? Snacks. Yes. Something else? Sleep, Sleep right? These are, and these are all good things, but sometimes it's in the way we desire them. Snacks can be good, but if we eat too many snacks, right? That can be bad for us. Sleep can be good, but if we sleep all day, that might not be good for us, right? Um, and we convince ourselves, like snacks and sleep, that we deserve them. I need them. I've earned this. And we might even use uh, scripture to confirm that desire. What does it say in Psalm 3? He, he, he lets me sleep, I think. Oh, look, God is letting me sleep, so I must be able to sleep all day, right? Um, we, we use scripture, right? We twist it uh, for our own desires. I met this family once. I, I told this couple actually before. I used to be a carpenter on this island of Nantucket. Beautiful place. Look it up. Go there. You'll love it. You probably won't leave. It's a wonderful place. And um, so, yeah, I knew this couple there. I went to visit them. I wanted to introduce my wife to them because I had known them long ago. And we're talking, and I knew that they had kind of a funky theology to begin with. Again, I'm pretty sure they're not watching. Then um, they, they, it was just a little weird, but it was, you know, they're just friends. They were people I knew. And we went to go sit with them, and they were like, yeah, we think that God's telling us to sell our house for a million bucks. And that's how much houses are there. That's a cheap house, by the way, there. And um, 
they, they said, but we, it was in the, it was, we found it in the scripture passage. Now, to be honest with you, I don't remember what it was, but it was because the word move was in the scripture passage. It was pretty flaky. And I even looked at my wife, I was like, oh, this is weird. But like, they had somehow been convinced, and I'm not like, con- I'm not trying to judge really, like if God is speaking to someone, maybe God is. I just highly doubt that that's, that's just like in one word, just like, look, you just want to move. That's okay. You can move. Like, it's okay to move. You don't need to read the word move in scripture to confirm that for you, right? Unless it says move, like, and like, go move. It wasn't even that. It was so weird. Anyway, I counsel a lot of couples, okay? And it's frightening how much they, spouses especially, use scripture to manipulate their spouse to get what they want. It's abuse. It's terrible. It's wrong. Let's not do that. And it's a mishandling of scripture, and it's probably because we're not reading scripture right or enough or with enough guidance, right? We need to be careful how we use scripture to get what we want. This is what Satan was tempting Jesus to do, and what Satan is tempting us to believe. He wants us to believe that God is withholding something from us, so you got to take it for yourself. But Jesus' response is that he will not be driven by desire, but by God's will and God's desire, which is perfect, right? That's what Paul said in Romans 12. For Jesus to have what he needs... He will feed himself with God's word and wait on God for God's provision, not take it on his own. Verse 5, another vignette that we will see. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here again, Satan is using scripture to tempt Jesus into suspicion and therefore test God's trustworthiness. It's Satan's oldest trick in Genesis 3 when he said, did God say he's... He's casting doubt and suspicion on the trustworthiness of God. And now to Jesus, he's saying, yeah, God said this, so let's test if it's true. Again, questioning the trustworthiness of God. And we do similar when we expect God to come through on our terms. We want God to do things our way, the way we want. And unless we're healed, maybe God is not good. Suffering in in this world is used as proof to many people that God may not be good, but Jesus knows this. And in the garden, as another example, in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to die on the cross, he prayed, this is another story about Jesus, that in the most significant example of Jesus trusting God for his life, he said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But as you will. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus also knew that he could trust God for the outcome. Jesus knew, would save mankind and glorify God through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus knew, and he trusted God for the outcome. He didn't question God's trustworthiness 
in that, in that moment. Last vignette, verse 8, Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. He didn't drink water. It's probably very inappropriate that I drank water at that moment. Anyhow, sorry. Um, so ignore that. It's that. It seems like in this scripture passage, though, that Satan is scrambling, right? He's like, ah, I can't get him on these things. Well, maybe I can get him on the big thing, you know, worship of God. It's like he's tempting Jesus, who is God, uh, to worship Satan. And it seems like a no-brainer, right? How is Jesus going to actually do that? He wouldn't do that, right? And we, we, we seem it was a no-brainer for Jesus. And you would think that that would be a no-brainer for us too, but it's actually not. In fact, it's one of the hardest temptations that we struggle with. We make practically everything God. Everything. Over, we, make, we place those gods over and above God. We have a worship problem. We make everything about us, and God becomes come some sort of genie that we make wishes to, Largely, I think, largely, I'm not saying this is everybody in every, in every way, I think that we're not in the habit of praying. And if we pray, it informs our wants. It's in, sorry, it's informed by our wants and not God's desires for our lives. And what I mean is that we can pray for things and people, but if our prayers are always separated from God's word, God's word being the absolute truth, it should inform our thoughts and prayers. And if it's separated from, it, from us, it's like that, 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 that vine I described in the beginning. It kind of just goes off in nowhere land. And it maybe even dies or whatever. Like it will die, actually. It is a life or death situation. We do need to read God's word. We do need to hear from him. We do need to speak to him. Because when we hear from God and we speak to him, it shapes our prayers and our desires for, into God's desires, and then we grow. We become judge when, we're, when we don't pray and when we do, or when we're not reading God's word to inform our prayers. We become judge over what God is doing and how he's doing it and if he's good or not and based on what gets done. And we become the center of our own lives. And that's the opposite of worshiping God. That's worshiping our own selves. And then it says in verse 11 that the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. That's self-explanatory. I won't get into much of that. What Jesus demonstrates on a human level is that it's important to know scripture. Temptation comes in many clever voices. The only way for us to know God's voice is to listen to him all the time in his word. Sometimes uh, we're tempted to think that it's... that to galvanize ourselves, to protect ourselves against sin. It's just to hate sin, right? Oh, I really don't like that I do that. Okay, great, right? But hating sin is only maybe like a small fraction of what really, what really helps us change. It's actually a bad motivator because hating sin is just not enough, right? Um, Thomas Chalmers, old, old preaching theologian sermon guy, said this. The love of the world 
cannot be expunged, that's a great word, expunged, by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. But may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. I know it's kind of like weird English phrasing, saying basically we need, instead of hating sin, we need to replace sin with a new affection. The truth is, when we sin, we sin because we love that thing. That's why we did it. We need to learn to love something else. And it's not something else, but someone else. Excuse me, going to drink some more water. Before I cough in your ears, which might happen anyway. Merely hating our sin and the effects is not enough to put sin to death. We must replace that affection for another. We must endeavor to grow in our affections for God. And this is why we pray and read scripture. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Paul is encouraging us to use um, the Spirit of God in effect like a weapon. We're going to look briefly also at Ephesians 6 that, the, the, that we have the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a weapon against sin and it teaches us to have an affection for God. We, we are led by the Spirit of God. Jesus was led into, uh, the, um, into the desert uh, to be tempted by the Spirit of God. Jesus shows perfectly what it is like to be led by the Spirit because he worships God, because he is God. We've seen how Jesus demonstrates that story and his responses and Again, as I invited us in the beginning, we also get to respond to the call to renew our minds and to learn to depend on God for his direction and defense against sin. Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God. I'll read it. Finally, be strong. This is Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness for, and sh as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication to the saints, and also for me, uh, for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. If temptation and sin is a problem in our lives, then we need protection from temptation and sin. And we need tools that come from God and his word to defeat sin. We need the Holy Spirit to defeat sin. 
Paul invites us through this analogy uh, about a soldier wearing armor to consider how God protects us through knowing his word and praying. We, we want to be strong in the Lord, not strong in anything else, not strong in, in methods and, and like practices and habits and whatever, unless they are in the Lord. We don't want to be strong in ourselves. Paul says, it's not in your circumstances. It's not your wife, right? It's not your dad or your boss that caused you to sin. He, it's, it's, those, uh, it's the principalities and, 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 and the spirits and the darkness. It's in your thought life. It's in your belief that you battle. And this is where we need protection. We need it in our hearts, in our minds. Like we, need to, we need protection against those things. So then Paul, again, goes through the different parts of the armor, and I'll talk about them briefly here. And he talks about the belt of truth, which is God's truth. God's truth is found where? It's found in Scripture, right? That is the only place that we find God's truth, in Scripture. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness, this piece that hangs over here, right? It's not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus, Self-righteousness is weak because we actually do sin, so it actually cannot protect us. But Jesus, who is free of sin, in his righteousness gives us full protection because he's perfect in every way. The shoes on our feet. Readiness given by the gospel of peace. Our lives are challenged all the time, and so we need to be intimately familiar with the gospel and all of its implications for our lives so that we can walk in the gospel. Paul says many times in other scripture passages to walk according to your salvation, right? Walk according to the gospel and all the implications of that gospel. And that's where we find peace. The shield of faith, it's also given by God. Belief in God's truth protects us. Satan li Satan's lies come at us like flaming arrows, when we encounter those lies with belief in God's truth, they are extinguished. Um, I ha I'm always having to counter the lies that people believe in the counseling room with God's truth. I have found myself, caught myself, believing lies that I need to counter with God's truth. And when I know God's truth, his, his, his gospel, his word has power over my life. And it changes me. And it extinguishes those arrows. You might think I'm a loser. I'm a failure. But God says through scripture that you are a son or daughter with whom God is well pleased. This is what scripture says. And then there's the helmet of salvation. In Jesus, you have assurance. It, you wear it on your head. You, it protects you. You have assurance that you cannot lose your salvation. But you also, and, uh, this is just me adding, right? You wear this big Roman helmet on your head with the ruffle, and you look ridiculous. But you're saying that I belong to God, and everyone can see it, right? Maybe back then, contextually, it wasn't so ridiculous, but today... I challenge you, walk down the street with a Roman helmet on your head. When people ask, I belong to God. This is my helmet of salvation. We get to walk in that truth. And finally, and probably most importantly, we have the sword of the Spirit. Jesus, like Jesus, knowing that 
Knowing and believing in God's word, it's your weapon against Satan's lies. Pray for yourself, Paul says. Pray for others, right? It's important that we pray. We got to constantly pray. We have to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. But that prayer must be informed by God's word. Application, as I wrap this up, you're like, wow, he's wrapping it up. Great. It's hot in here. By the way, just saying, you guys got to talk to somebody about the air conditioning. I'm kidding. Not complaining. I'm complaining, but anyway. So, application. First thing, in terms of prayer and scripture, you need a Bible. How many people have a Bible? That's good. Get a Bible. Get a Bible. Don't get caught up. Okay, in, in too much in the translation. I read ESV. You'll probably find that 90% of the Bible holders in this room read the ESV. It's just a cultural thing, really, I think. But you know, it's a great translation. But we don't want to get caught up in, oh, it's the only translation. And there are people out there like that. Whatever. If you want to, do, if you want to believe that, that's great. King James, get it. I don't care. Get a Bible. It's God's word. Read it. Right? You need that. We need that. So you need one. Get a Bible. Um, and then you wanna, what you want to do, and we encourage you to do that, in this rule of life book, if you don't use this, if you have your own scheduling, you have apps, whatever, schedule out your prayer. Make it intentional. Don't just hope you're going to pray, because if you just hope you're going to pray, you may not do it. If you don't set aside time for Bible reading, you may not do it. I ask people all the time, especially the ones who answer, I don't pray a lot, I don't read my Bible. I'm like, okay, so how are we going to work on this? Like, when is, are you a night person? Are you a morning person? Based on that answer, great. You're a morning person? Get up at the crack of dawn. Get up an hour earlier, a half hour earlier. I don't care what it is, 15 minutes earlier. And use that time to spend with God. If you're a night person, do it at night. If you fall asleep when you're praying, so be it. I'm not trying to make this law, right? We just want to spend time with God in his word and respond to him in prayer. That's what we want to do. So schedule it out. If you miss it, don't worry about it. It's okay. Start again. There's grace. There's mercy. The God of comfort is not going to come to you and say, oh, you missed it again, huh? Like that's not God. That's not him. He loves you. He just wants to spend time with you. Don't beat yourself up about it. Put it in your phone. Do whatever you have to do. Make a plan. What are you going to read? Some people read, want to read the Bible from cover to cover. I had one counselee. It was like a little weird. Gives you an idea, right? The broad spectrum. You know, uh, do you read your Bible? Oh, yeah, I read it once. Excuse me? Yeah, I read the whole thing cover to cover once, and really what they meant is they read it and didn't pick it up again. I was like, yeah, I read it now. You know, like, it's like reading some other informational book that I read and I put down. It's like, no, this is an acting, act, an active and living word of God. It's, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You've got to read it all the time. You've got to make a plan for what you're going to read and read it. Personally, right now, I'm reading like a chapter a day. I'm slowly chewing through Samuel. Actually, I'm in 2 Samuel. I just finished 2 Samuel, and I'm going to start Chronicles next. But 
Um, I just picked those because it's like, okay, I feel like I'm a bit detached from that narrative and I want to know more about that narrative. And so I engage with it. We need to be expectant about what we're going to get from the Word of God. We can't read it just to read words off a page. We need to be expectant that when we read the Word of God, God has something to say to you. It's so important. This is a living and breathing Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. These words are there because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive and wants to tell you something. Be expectant that he's going to tell you something. Even if you read like genealogies and so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so, you might, if you think about it for two seconds, you're like, wow, God is really faithful that he has this whole line of people that he's affected and their names are written down so that we can see that God had a plan and he was at work. Even at the very least, you get that from something as boring as so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. God has something to say to you. God has something to say to you always. Make a plan. Pick a plan. There's so many apps for plans. Do it. Read a chapter a day. Read half a chapter a day. Whatever it is, just read and pray and respond. God is speaking to you in God's word. Respond. Journaling. I'm a big fan of journaling. I even, you know, make journals so that people can use them. Um, journaling is really important. This is why I believe journaling is important. This is not in the scripture. Okay, this is Brian. Okay, just so you know. Um, here are some stats on journaling. The average person reads 225 words per minute. That's a lot of information. The average person thinks 2,000 words per minute. Again, even more information is being processed in one minute. But the average person writes 13.5 words per minute. Journaling, writing out your prayers, responding to God's word, slows things down. It helps us sort our thoughts. It helps us keep record of prayers, answered prayers, history of where we were to where God has brought us. We can, you can even use prayer cards. One of the resources, I think, in, in the... Rule of Life book is, uh, I think, Paul Miller's uh, A Praying Life. He recommends, I don't have any here, but index cards where you, you just write the thing that you're praying for. And then right underneath it, you write a scripture passage of hope for that thing. And then you pray that every day. You go through it. I'm going to pray this and I'm going to pray that. Believe it or not, it actually changes and transforms even what you're praying for. God is good. God is faithful. And then you can start to write down, well, God actually answered this thing for me. Praise God. Oh, I'm going to add somebody to this list. You know, and this is how you keep track. So write things down. It's really, really helpful. We want to listen. As I said before, we want to meditate and think on God's word. We want to have hope. It, our, our prayers should have thanksgiving in them. Our responses to God, at the very least, should have thanksgiving. But we should really meditate and chew on God's word. As I said before, we need to be expectant that God has something to say to us when we read scripture. We want to also consider praying with others. Pray in your city groups. Pray in your change groups. I actually like to pray. One of the, it's a weird thing. I learned this in, like, I guess, maybe through biblical counseling training, whatever. Pray right away with people. You ever get those text messages like, hey, I need prayer because uh, I can't find cat food or whatever, you know, thing you get? They're not 
Not minimizing people's prayer requests. Some of them are very serious. Stop and pray right away for them. Text back, I'm praying now. Or even better yet, pick up the phone and say, can I pray with you now? That to me is the best practice. I had a counselee call me the other day, was really being attacked by like a lot of spiritual stuff and was really like, he's like, hey, I need prayer. And I'm like, call me. He called me and we prayed right away. He was in a parking lot. It was loud. He could barely hear me. I could barely hear him. But we prayed. We prayed. It's really important to pray in the, in the moment. Stop everything you're doing. Pray. Be intentional about your prayer. Pray with your congregation. Pray all the time. We need to be speaking to God about the things of our heart. It doesn't matter really what it is. You could even say, like I know I talked about God's goodness and how we somehow become the judge of God's goodness. You talk to God about that. God, I'm not sure you're good right now. He can take that. He can handle that. And he's going to help you by the power of the Spirit. He's going to help change your heart and show you just how good he is. I have confidence of that because he did that for me. I realized, like, I think it was like four years ago, maybe now, um, I was questioning God's goodness for my life. Things weren't going my way. God wasn't giving me what I wanted. And I was starting to see him as not that great. It was based on my desires and wants. When I started seeing that, when I realized, man, Lord, I'm sorry. I've questioned your goodness. And he showed me how good he was. And he comforted me. And he loved me. And he cared for me. And I started to realize that even though life wasn't the way I expected it to be, it was exactly the way God was doing what he needed to do in my life in that moment. And I was comforted. I was comforted. I just encourage you, open your Bible, get a Bible if you don't have one, get a journal, start talking to God, do it now. Let me pray for you, and let me pray for us, and then we'll respond. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you're not willing to leave us where we are, but you're constantly calling to us and you're inviting us into a conversation that you started so long ago that continues today by the power of your spirit in our hearts. And, and you say, come, have a conversation with me. Know me, know me through my word. And we ought to respond, yes, Lord, we want to know you. We ought to pray to you. We ought to wrestle with you. We ought to seek you for all things in our life. And we should see your promises as precious and true. Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on the cross for our life. Because without that, none of this would matter. Without Jesus, the, the door would be closed. Everything, the communication lines would be cut off and we wouldn't have the ability to appeal to you for anything. But we can because Jesus took care of all of that. He showed us the way. He lived the perfect life that we could not live and he died the sacrifice that was needed to create relationship between us and you, God, and we thank you for that. We desperately thank you for that. We are so thankful for everything we have in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our congregations, in our hearts today. And Lord, we thank you for everything. 
And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.